0: Blue line leaves it. Kale McCarr winds, fires, Score! Uh-huh. Now Rubido
1: top of the near circle, pass far side, wide open net. What a
0: save made by Philip Grubauer. Just outstanding stuff. I am Grub. And oh. Zadorov smash! Oh, 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 oh. oh my goodness! Yeah. What a bone crushing hit by Nikita Zadorov! And Howard has no idea what day it is, what time zone he's in, and he is slowly making his way towards the bench.
1: Hello and welcome into another edition of Avalanche Talk, Mile High Sports Podcast, where we cover all things Avalanche and you know, a few things NHL here and there. I am the host, J.J. Durrez. With me, as always, is my lovely co-host, so lovely, Arif Dean. How you doing today? We got some NHL news to talk about.
0: I'm doing great, and I'm excited to talk about all the news today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's great that we recorded today. You know, we were thinking about recording on Sunday. Today's Tuesday. Yep. We were thinking about recording yesterday. Luckily, we waited for this news because we were going to talk about the old proposed tournament. And, you know, it seems like since that was broken to us the news of of what they thought it was going to look like last week. Some things have changed. So, um, you know, today Gary Bettman kind of released the uh, the new proposed plan for the tournament, and it's a little bit more complex than we saw last week, and there's a little bit more randomness to it. I guess, let me just start with your initial thoughts on this tournament and what it's supposed to look like so far.
0: So, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I like it. I like the idea, and I like what they're doing. Um, There's a little bit of things over here and there that you can argue, like should Montreal and Chicago be in, and then at that point you have 22 teams and things like that. But for the most part, I like the way that they're going about doing this. I like that they're thinking outside the box. I like that they're trying different things, and I especially like that the NHL is the first – League, the first professional league in North America to make an announcement of this stature. That's a huge step, and it's great for them to get the ball rolling first.
1: That kind of stuff doesn't really surprise me, though. You know, I think Gary Bittman's always willing to kind of push the envelope and think outside the box and do just do things differently and and not adhere to what people expect of him. Of course, sometimes it ends up in him getting booed by whichever crowd it may be, but... At the end of the day, you know, when we look back at Gary Bettman's tenure, I think we're going to kind of think about how he was kind of a trailblazer, and he was the one to, to push limits and do kind of his own own drum, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that put hockey in Florida and hockey in places like uh, like Tampa Bay, like Sunrise, Florida, uh, like Arizona. You know, he's, he's always been the guy to make those moves, and I think that he's the one that's, you know – he's willing to be the guy to start things off, and it's it's just great to see the NHL in that position. Uh, a couple of factors to take from today. Uh, one thing that Gary Bettman said was that the 2019-20 regular season is deemed complete statistically. All the team's points, all the players' points, etc., all of that has been completed, um, which is a little bit weird because Greg Wyszynski has a quote from uh, the NHLPA's Donald Fair, who says that we haven't decided where the statistics from the playoff round are going to go yet? It has not been done, uh, which makes sense because Gary Bettman didn't really specify what happens with that round robin that you know that was discussed between Colorado and the top four seeds, and then the play-in games for the five to twelfth ranked teams. What happens to the stats in those games? And Bettman, you know, specified that the playoffs is going to be sixteen teams. Everybody that plays in this round. If Pittsburgh gets knocked off by Montreal. Montreal is a playoff team Pittsburgh is not and by the way Pittsburgh does go into the draft lottery so he specified that it's only 16 teams going to the playoffs but at the same time he said the regular season is complete statistically so it is just a small thing but if Alex Ovechkin goes out and scores a hat trick in a round robin game where do those three goals go? Are they wiped from his history of ever scoring completely like a preseason? Or is it going to go to his regular season, the playoffs? I'm glad to see that there was pushback from Donald Fair because it is a big deal that you know these players want their stats to count, want their numbers to count. And it just makes the most sense for the play-in round and for the round-robin for the top four seats to be counted as a regular season game.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's mostly the statistics that deal with individual accolades, right? I mean, today, I, as a matter of fact, I was listening back to one of my 31 Thoughts pa- podcast, still trying to catch up, and they were interviewing John Michael Lyles, and he brought up the point of watching Kale McCarr this season and how quickly he kind of beat John Michael Lyles' rookie defenseman points record, right? And what's really a bummer about that is Kale McCarr's rookie season is now over. Think about what he could have done with those extra games and how high he really could have pushed that bar and it's a bummer that you know he probably could have deserved more credit for being the highest scoring defenseman in avalanche you know rookie history but there could be easily someone to come and pass that that mark. And it's kind of unfair to Kale McCarr. It's, it's a, it's a bummer and it's going to be that way with a lot of people. There's just a lot of individual accolades that are going to get just kind of thrown by the wayside at this point.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, that's definitely a big thing to take into account. Uh, I'll go back to the Ovechkin example again. He's at 48 goals. He is leading the league tied with Pasternak. So he is going to be a co-winner of the rocket Richard, his eighth award win. Uh, but he's two goals away from another 50-goal season. He already had the 2013 season lockout a 50-goal season because he got 32 goals in friggin' 48 games. So uh, it just sucks to see somebody like him constantly having to battle against these things, a lockout that knocked out half his season, a lockout that potentially knocked out his rookie season, and now a pandemic, a once-in-a-century pandemic that's knocked out 10 to 15 games. I mean, despite all of that, I still think he's going to beat Gordie Howe and he, or Wayne Gretzky in goals, but... Uh, it just sucks to see the players have to deal with something like this out of the blue. The players that are, you know, one goal back of the rocket restart, the players that are one or two points or goals back of reaching bonuses. Uh, but it is what it is, man. It's a pandemic. Nobody wants to be in this position, and we are all here uh, involuntarily. And that's just the reality of it.
1: Absolutely. It stinks to think of what could have been, but at the end of the day, we just need to move on and, and everybody's got to move forward and get over it because there's no changing it now. Um, going back a little bit to uh, looking at the at what the tournament looked like last week and how we kind of thought the Avalanche were just going to simply jump in and play the winner of whoever won between Minnesota and Vancouver. Um, but it seemed like the NHLPA, you know, after that was kind of brought to our attention, it said that they agreed to further negotiations I mean obviously that wasn't anything set in stone so they hated the idea of that last tournament and I still kinda think there's some pushback going on um, you know I, I think even this tournament isn't set in stone you know this is more of a plan it seems like very good chance that this is all gonna go down but it, I still kinda sense a little bit of pushback from the NHLPA
0: Yeah, so in regards to those top four teams and uh, playing those round robin games, if I understood Betman correctly today, what's going to happen is they're each going to play a round robin game, just like you would in the Olympics, just like soccer they would in the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And based off of the rankings of that wild card or of that round robin, that's going to determine the one the four seeds. The only thing is if two teams are tied, the one that had the higher regular season points uh, percentage is going to be the one that's going to win. So uh, it just seems a little weird because now if... St. Louis, or not St. Louis, but the other two teams, Dallas and Vegas, have a better three-game record than the Avalanche do. They're going to pass them in the standings, so the Avalanche have to tie them in order to keep a hold of that second seed, which is something I did not think was going to happen. I thought teams like the Avalanche were going to have a stranglehold of either top spot or second seed, and a team like Boston, who's 10 points clear, was going to have a stranglehold of the number one seed in the East. It doesn't seem to be that way, and I think the reason why they're doing that is because they want these round-robin games to matter. It's for the good of the teams at the top of the division, at the top of the conference, to be able to go into the first round of the playoffs having played meaningful hockey. Right, and that was one of our biggest complaints last week when we were debating
1: whether or not the season should come back. That was one of my biggest issues, is it's going to be tough for players to just jump in. And and not play any games. Well, last week's tournament proposal kind of seemed like it had that feel to it. The Avalanche were going to have to just jump right into it. So I really commend whoever got creative and thought of this solution. Like I said earlier, I think it's really fair. The fact that we don't know where the Avalanche are going to seed is, is pretty sweet. We'll get more into uh, what their round robin will look like later here in the podcast. But still, again, with the uh, onto the NHLPA. Um, it, it just seemed like they hated the idea of the last proposal, and I'm not sure they're fully sold on this one. I mean, the last time we we kind of read that the uh, conversations were getting heated a lot of times between the NHLPA and, um, you know, whoever they're arguing with, if it's the owners or, or the league itself. And even now there was a, a quote from Bettman um, saying that the, the return to play plan is in the result is the result of weeks of constructive dialogue. So the, te- the fact that it took weeks tells me, again, the NHLPA is giving a lot of pushback, and they are grateful for their cooperation, which, again, just kind of tells me, you know, it's kind of a nice way of Gary Bettman saying they've been difficult, but now, you know, we're, we're thankful that they're kind of starting to open their minds a little bit. I don't know. That's just me maybe reading a little bit too much between the lines, but I'm just taking the, what, I, what I saw from Gary Bettman and just trying to analyze it a little bit deeper.
0: So I'm going to counter that argument with a quote from Alex Killorn of the Tampa Bay Lightning and from um, Carolina Hurricanes, I believe Jordan Martinuk. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's their uh, representative in the NHLPA. Of the thirty-one teams, those are the two teams that voted no to the proposal. So it was a twenty-nine to two vote, and both of them said the same thing: to not mistake them voting no with them not wanting to come back and play hockey. They just wanted to further discuss or expand on this proposal. Uh, obviously, for a team like Tampa Bay, you don't—they were not really too hot about the idea of going from a round robin to playing a team that played for you know that basically battled for its life already and is already in the groove and ha- might have an upper hand for Carolina. Let's face it, they're the they're the sixth seed. they got to play number 11, the Rangers, who are one of the hottest teams in the league. They have a potential Hart Trophy winner on their lineup. is one of the hottest scorers in the league. And, by the way, the Rangers beat Carolina all four of their meetings this year. So those were the two people that voted no. Now, the reason why I brought that up is because what I'm— getting from these uh, conversations and what Bettman was saying was a very constructive and very uh, heated discussion is, don't get it twisted. These players want to come back. The players want to play hockey. The players want to award a Stanley Cup. But, but, but but what about our families but what about our hub cities where do we live what's going to happen so there's a lot of pushback because let's face it they're nhl players they want to play the game they love they want to win the stanley cup but at the same time if you're going to take a human and tell him for the next 75 days for the next 65 days you're going to live in a hotel room go to work for four hours a day and come back and sit in the hotel room for 20 hours a day no one's really going to like that oh and by the way you have a wife and kids they're not coming you can't see them so it just seems like a like a very weird situation that they still have to iron out the details maybe people can bring their families maybe after your series finishes you can go visit family who knows but i mean all of these things are not going to get ironed out until we're closer to playing because in the end uh things could change things are changing by on a weekly basis for the better or possibly for the worse and at this point, the NHL can't make a decision, which is why Bettman hasn't made a decision on, on A, the two hub cities, which was confirmed today there will be two hub cities, and B, when it's going to happen because things are changing you know, on a daily basis.
1: Right, and it also hasn't been nailed down how many games the series is, are going to be. The only one that's been nailed down is the Stanley Cup Finals, that it's going to be a seven-game series. All and the, the, rest and of the conference finals. Are, oh, yeah, are, are, all the rest are to be determined, uh, more or less. So that tells me, again, that this is still just a plan, still nothing set in stone. And, you know, I read over the weekend an article by The Score, which I think they just kind of take articles and yeah. re- recycle them. Um, but, you know, there's a, a doctor, Andrew Morris, who's been – very much, uh, I guess, a uh, consultant for the NHLPA, and he's very much opposed to uh, getting things going. Just say that, again, there's just so many hurdles that they have to go through with testing and making sure everybody's clean and safe. Um, So, you know, I think him being in their ear might have just kind of put in a lot of negativity in their brains. Again, I hope it all goes down, and I hope it's happening, but it's still sounds to me like there's just a lot that still needs to be negotiated, and we're still a lot further than we're led to believe.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't blame, I don't uh, disagree with the fact that there's a lot to be discussed and there were a lot further than I'm led to believe, but I do disagree with the fact that I don't think it's, it's, it's out of the realm of possibility for this to happen. I feel maybe I'm just a little bit more optimistic, but I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of getting the details ironed out, which right now they're working on. So, as of this point, I... Uh, the you know the the hints on a date that Bettman gave is that phase two which is that small group training that the players can do the informal skates the quote captain skates those can are probably going to be transitioned to that in early june which we're you know coming up on next week and the training camps he said no earlier than the first half of july so we're looking at another month after phase two for phase three which is a formal training camp to begin the pa has constantly pushed for a three-week training camp who knows if it ends up being three weeks maybe it only ends up being 10 days seven days two weeks god knows but judging by the things of this the nhl is looking at starting somewhere in the late july early august realm and playing for 60 days they want this to be done in two months and they think they can they can do such so it's going to be interesting just to see how they go about this uh but what I do think is interesting regarding that and why I'm a little bit more optimistic is they are still not at a point where they have to make a decision quick and pull the plug if not. Gary Bettman did say uh, he was on Tim and Sid and uh, Sportsnet radio show for uh, in Canada right after his uh, his initial announcement. And he told Tim and Sid that the NHL is looking at a start date for next season anywhere from November to January. And he even threw out the possibility of We might even start with the Winter Classic, but he did mention that next year will be a full 82-game season, a full traditional playoff, and this is a one-time thing. So judging by that, if the NHL is willing to start January 1st and they have a contingency plan to play from January 1st to, hell, July, August of of the summer of 2021, um, they're in no rush to do this. That's just the reality of it. If they end up playing playoff hockey in September, October, you still have November and December off before you start the next season.
1: I know it's not what we're used to, and I tend to be more of a traditionalist when it comes to hockey, but the idea of summer hockey, you know, just something extra to watch during the summer times, just, it excites me. Um, again, I think there's issues with the way the game might be played at that point, but that was a conversation for last podcast. So yeah. um, as of now, you know, I think summer hockey would be would be really awesome to watch and really entertaining, even if Absolutely. it's only for two years. Um, you kind of touched on it there for a little bit with the – training camp and and practices and how everything's going to kind of look going into. So I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into those. Um, You know, I think I've heard from several different sources that a lot of coaches and players want at least two weeks. So let's just assume it's a two week process. What do you kind of foresee those, I guess, training sessions and everything being like, obviously, they're going to have to get main focus right out of the gate is going to be fitness right i mean how many of these guys maybe put on some pounds or just weren't up to the regular nhl regimen but fitness has to be number one
0: yeah i mean the difference between this and a training camp that you see in september a traditional camp at the beginning of a season is the entire summer players are still skating players are still working out players are still living their regular lives and doing that regular thing that they do to prepare for a hockey season uh I can't give you an exact number, but let's say 75-85% of the players don't have that right now. The ones that are in Sweden have been skating here and there. Some place, some players in certain cities maybe have been able to get ice time, but it's not a league-wide thing. A lot of players, like you and me, are locked in their houses, looking at their laptop screen, talking on Zoom, speaking over FaceTime, working out in their in their apartments, and their basements, and their home gyms, running around the neighborhood. This is, you know, rollerblading around the neighborhood, like we've heard a lot of players say. Uh... But that's the difference between this and a, and a traditional training camp. Is nobody is coming into this prepared uh, after a summer of working out. So it's going to be a lot of fitness to start. That's for sure. And you know that's why the the PA has been pushing for a three week long training camp. Is because because of the pandemic and because of these unprecedented, unprecedented times and because it's so different. The players are going to need more time to readjust and sort of get back to where they were. Especially considering you're going straight into playoff hockey and not into an October.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was going to be my point. You always seem to make my point right before I do. But I think that's another one of, of the biggest issues you got to kind of think about. When you're going into training camp before a season, you're getting ready for an 82-game season and then some. Now you're getting ready for the intensity of the Stanley Cup playoffs and the intensity of whatever, you know, whatever is generated by this new tournament. So you know, I think it's going to be hard to really switch that intensity switch i guess on um so you know i think practices are going to have a lot of high battle high intensity battle drills you know a lot of one-on-ones in the corner just to try to start that that fire in the belly of the players right no matter what team you are you really got to ignite a little bit extra motivation than you would at a normal training camp and so for especially for players who have been around a long time it's going to be a little bit tough for them to kind of make that switch and make that 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 change because it's not the preseason you're about to skate into it's the playoffs and a, and a big tournament
0: yeah exactly and i mean in the end these players are itching to get back They're you know they have that fire going but it's as much as you want to talk about getting back to it nothing is going to prepare you for hockey like skating and playing hockey and they're going to need more time to do it because it is playoffs because mm-hmm. it is fighting for your lives you know these guys are going to be skating for two three weeks and then possibly playing three games losing all three and being done That is far different than anything you've ever seen in in, in an October training camp and in September and after a preseason. So it's definitely going to be different in that sense. The stakes are a lot higher. Uh, And like you said about five minutes ago, the summer hockey is going to be excellent, and I think it is. I think it's going to be the best hockey we've ever seen. And we're going to keep talking about all the things and all the reasons why this is such a hard event to pull off. But once it happens and once the games happen and the cup is awarded – all we're going to remember is the game of hockey and not all the other things that surround it
1: and you got you got to assume a lot of these practices are going to be behind closed doors essentially i mean there's not going to be oh, any yeah. media there's not going to be yep. anybody there to watch so you know i think you could definitely get into a lot of power play and penalty kill that the you know the players can kind of get used to that game speed again because those are kind of good drills to to uh, use game speed, but you're gonna, and that also isn't gonna give away much strategy or anything they've been working on too, because again, nobody's gonna be there to watch them, and maybe even a scrimmage or two. It'd be awesome to be get to watch that an inner squad scrimmage with the Avalanche. Um, but you know, it's probably something we'll never, never get to see, but we might hear about. And I think that would be a really good te- technique for coaches to use to kind of, again, just get get them right back into that intensity shape. You know, it's gonna be a whole different battle mentally.
0: Yeah, and uh, regarding what you just said in uh, regards to the media being there and uh, people being around the players, that's something that's ultimately not going to happen. Bettman did mention when asked about the media, he had a Zoom call with uh, Bill Daly after the uh, announcement was made and after he was on Tim and Sid, and he basically said that there will likely be an international TV food, uh, feed for media to watch, and he said, quote, there will not be a lot of folks near the players we've got to keep players healthy for this to work uh some reporters are saying that Batman is essentially killing any chance of media covering games in the hub cities um which they're not complaining about it's just a fact of you know the matter of this pandemic and what you know what we're dealing with but the reality is no media is not going to be there and even if they are there they are not going to be at ice level they are not going to be in the locker rooms anywhere near the players uh they might even cover it from an, from an offshore uh, location. The announcers, the commentators might even be on an offshore location. Who knows? But this does give the players a chance because of the low exposure. Not many eyes are going to be set on them. There isn't going to be many cameras on. This gives them a chance to go deeper into their playbook and really dig deep into each coach's uh Uh, coaching and uh, their style of coaching and what they can do to prepare their players on the power play the penalty kill even strength things like that because no one's going to be there to report on it and it's going to really give a new twist to the playoffs this year where everybody's coming in sort of fresh and 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 with all these new tactics and techniques that others have not you know may have not seen for quite a while
1: yeah not to mention a lot of these coaches you know live and die by hockey and they love just learning the game and learning different things. Well, they've had nothing but two and a half months to maybe yep. you know, watch some film or learn some new tricks. Who knows what cards uh, some guys might have up their sleeves? So, if practices are broadcast, that's going to be cool to watch. See how different teams, um, you know, go about their training and their strategy. But I, I didn't know that fact, so I guess that kind of scraps my idea of you know teams really getting to work on some on some tactical things. But uh, you know, I don't think it'll stop them from. Having the high intensity practices and having those you know game like situations that are really going to help you see where the team stands in terms of fitness skill and, and everything going into this, so I'm excited to watch that not just from the Avalanche but all teams um, Of course, as we know we're we're going to be seeing those from the hub cities. Uh, I wanted to get a little bit deeper into those. essentially, ten cities were picked they're going to narrow them down to two, one for the east coast, one for the west coast um, you know I, I'm going to spare you from naming all 10 right now that might get kind of boring, but um, I suggest you look it up. But Eric, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on the cities. Are there any that stand out? Are there any that maybe it looks more like somewhere that a West, a Western conference hub is going to be named because some of these cities like Los Angeles, for example, stands out to me as just a bad idea.
0: Yeah. So Los Angeles sounds like a bad idea to me. Chicago sounds like a bad idea as well. Um, But, I think something that we need to keep in mind is that Bettman did not really specify that there has to be one team from the East and one team from the West. He just said that it's going to be two hub cities that are going to, one is going to be four Eastern Conference teams and one is going to be four Western Conference teams. So if your two best options in terms of health and in terms of practicality are two teams in the West, uh, then Let's face it, one of those Western cities are going to host the Eastern Conference teams and that home city's team is going to travel to the other Western Conference hub to play with the Western Conference teams. Let me elaborate on that. That was a lot of words. Uh, Right now, in my opinion, the top choices are a mixture of Vegas, Columbus, and Vancouver. The NHL wants to put a team in wants to make one of the hub cities in Canada because of financial reasons and because of the practicality of the Canadian dollar, which is you know f- far lower value than the American dollar. Um, so that puts Vancouver into play. However, there is some logistical issues in regards to the Canadian border, which Bettman has reiterated again today that that's not going to be an issue. But at the same time, if players are focused, uh, if players are going to have to be quarantined for fourteen days upon arriving at that hub city that scraps the possibility of that city of, of Canada being a possibility. Granted, that's also something that uh, today was confirmed that there's, the NHL is speaking with the Canadian government about that. So if it's possible to have a Canadian city, I think Vancouver is a shoe in The other two options are Columbus and Vegas. Vegas is a far more practical city than Columbus just because of the, uh, number one, you're away from the Midwest. You're in a less populated uh, city, Uh you're 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 in an area where there's hotels abound and restaurants abound and it just seems like a more practical city to host something like this a tournament this big so right off the bat my top two choices would be Vegas and Vancouver and those are two teams in the west two playoff teams in the west so if Vegas is the one that's going to be hosting the western conference teams Vancouver is going to have to travel there and then Vancouver is going to have to host the Canadian or the eastern but at the same time, if Vancouver falls through, in my opinion, it'll be Vegas and Columbus, and now you have one East and one West.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like how thorough you already had that prepared and already thought <laughs> through that. All I saw was this list and just thought of what couldn't work. I like how you, you know, took the other side and thought about what what would work and how. Um, you know, again, a Toronto strikes me as another city that doesn't seem like it would work. Yep. So um, I like your thinking behind it. Dallas kind of strikes me as one that might might really be able to make things work. However, it is pretty populated. Who knows how contained you know the virus is down there, but I think it's definitely a bigger city that can hold that many NHL teams and, and kind of make things work. But I, I like you've got me on board with your idea. I think, uh, I think you're 100 percent on there. Um, so we'll see how that comes to play, but, you know either way, they're not going to be home games for anybody, so it, you know it's going to be another just another factor, another interesting thing to watch, to keep an eye on, on just how players adapt to these hub cities and, and where they play. I mean, I'm sure Kale McCarr would love to play in Vancouver, right? I mean, th- there's just certain yeah. certain areas. I mean, even though he's from Calgary, it's, it's just probably just a short trip for a lot of his family, a lot of. Uh, even him just to go home. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about the cities. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I just wanted to get into them a little bit. But lastly, or I guess we got a couple more things here to go. First, I just wanted to get into the tournament as a whole, mainly just observations. Anything that stands out to you? I kind of wanted to touch on the bubble teams that are getting their second chance at life. You know, there's a couple teams in there that you wouldn't necessarily uh, expect to see in there this year. Um, the Arizonas, the Columbuses, the Floridas Just kind of getting a, a second chance It's refreshing you know, While people are kind of pissed off about Chicago and Montreal I think it's, it's kind of heartwarming To see a team like Arizona get a shot
0: Yeah, teams like Arizona Teams like Columbus Like you said, Columbus has been dealt a bad hand this year They've lost 409 games to injury this year which is just an astonishing number and a lot of these players are going to be back so good luck to toronto you know having to play columbus in that five game play-in series uh arizona obviously they went out and made a big move acquiring taylor hall they brought in phil kessel in the summer uh, just things weren't really clicking for them and every single time they had a goalie get hot be it darcy kemper or be it uh anti they end up getting injured the very next day so they just they've been dealt a lot of bad luck, and it's it's great to see them get a chance. The team that I'm most excited for, the New York Rangers, uh, they really figured things out. The you know the last forty five to fifty games of that season, ever since uh, Shasturkin came in, he obviously beat the Avalanche in his debut, and Zibanejad started scoring at a crazy pace. He's got forty one goals in fifty eight games, which is and a spectacular number to say the least. Uh, Artemi Panarin is. Uh, you know right right there around 100 points and he's still getting better every single season somehow you keep thinking he's going to reach a ceiling and he he goes out and does something better they have adam fox on defense uh anthony uh d'angelo tony d'angelo on defense all these guys that have come out so uh it's 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 going to be great to see them get an opportunity as well Um, but I do want to bring up Montreal because it is the elephant in the room. It's the team that everybody's talking about. It's Carey Price playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Price hasn't had the best season, but he's also played 65 games this year. He's started the most games in the NHL by a landslide. To have a well-rested Carey Price in a do-or-die situation – best out of five game series, it's hard not to think of that as something where the goalie is going to be a factor. If Carey Price can be Carey Price, they can beat the Penguins. They can upset a team in the first round. Anything is possible, and that's what's going to be exciting, is we don't really know what's going to happen. We saw the four wildcard teams last season all make it out of the first round, and this year could be even crazier, and that's the beauty of where we are uh, in this league in terms of the parity and in terms of all the teams being competitive in that balance because of the structure and the salary cap.
1: Yeah, and I just love the idea of not knowing, you know, not knowing where the Avalanche are going to fall in terms of the 1-2-3-4 ranking of the round robin, not knowing who their first real matchup is going to be once that quote-unquote 16-team playoff actually starts. Um, You know, so I think there's a lot of excitement about this playoff. Those teams that shouldn't be in getting in just adds to that excitement. Um, You know, I think you covered the Rangers really well. They're, They're a team that we're supposed to be tanking all year long. We saw them. Uh, last game of the season, technically, yeah. here at Pepsi Center, and they were they took the Avalanche to overtime, skated there right right with them, stride for stride. So, obviously, they are a dangerous team and can really make some stuff happen. Of course, let's not forget how injured the Avalanche were. Let's hope hmm. all these injuries are, are back at 100%. How, how hopeful are you that the Avalanche are going to be ready? A hundred percent. I'm talking to everybody, Miko, Grubauer, Kadri, Colin Wilson, even <laughs>
0: – I am very confident that they're going to be ready 100%, just as I'm confident 95% of the league is going to be that way. There are some players who were injured in January, February, who their their estimated time of uh, being out with an injury was six months, eight months, nine months. Those guys are going to miss. Um, but for the, Dominic Simone, for example, for Pittsburgh, he's out six months as of two weeks ago when he had surgery now, so he's going to be out. My question isn't, is everyone going to be healthy when it begins? My question is how quickly are these guys going to start going down with injuries? And that's where that three-week training camp comes into play. And that's where the conditioning of these players comes into play is. They're going to go straight into playoff hockey and they're going to start going down, man. And that's the part that worries me is how quickly until teams are decimated with injuries, until the Avalanche have another situation where a Grubauer, a Calvert, a Ranton, and a Kadri, a Burakovsky, these guys are hurt again. It could happen. You never know.
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely especially with any hockey injury it could just take a little tweak and they're back at square one so yeah that's that's a great point i wanted to dive lastly into the actual round robin for the avalanche i mean dallas st louis vegas and colorado that's going to be the four there i guess you know those aren't exactly the easiest teams st louis always giving fits dallas beat the avalanche every single game this regular season and of course vegas always really entertaining hockey games with colorado but Vegas seems to kind of have that edge over Colorado. What do you think about that round robin? Where do you think the Avalanche are going to kind of, um, you know, be when it's all said and
0: done? I don't know, man. I just have a really good feeling about this team. I have a great feeling because I have a great feeling about the Avalanche for two reasons. Their best players have been waiting a very long time to be in this situation. Uh, McKinnon has said it all year. Every time we talk to him about, what he feels about this season and where his team is. And, you know, the added depth, the acquisitions. He'll constantly say, I've been here for seven years and this is the first time I feel we have a chance. Well, if McKinnon has been here for seven years, Landis was drafted two years earlier and he missed the playoffs in both of those years. So he's seen the same amount of playoff action as McKinnon. Someone like Ranton came into the league uh, when the Avalanche were still under Patrick Waugh and then his first full season was that 2017 season. These guys have been here for long enough where they're just itching at the opportunity of winning a stanley cup i don't want to say you know that makes them more excited than the blues or than the penguins or capitals that have been there every single year but at the same time yeah that makes them more excited this was their opportunity to be that new team on the block that can actually win the cup so because of that i feel like the avalanche are going to come out really strong i don't know why but i feel like the round robin in the first round are sort of going to be a quick one an easy one for the avalanche and that could be a big jinx who knows but I feel like once the teams are all settled in then we'll start to see more competitive play but in the beginning the Avalanche are just going to be itching to go for it and I firmly believe they're going to win the Western Conference. They're going to go 2 and 2 and 1 or 3 and 0 oh, whatever it takes in order for them to win the Western top seed. So I guess we'll see. Um the Avalanche had Vegas' number this year. They seemed to score seven goals on them every time they played them. Obviously, Dallas was a bit of an issue. St. Louis, they lost the two in St. Louis. They won the two in Denver. Uh, so who knows? But I, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident because of that and because of the players coming back from their injuries.
1: Yeah, you're supremely confident. You, you said yeah. they're going to take the whole thing. So, you know, that would shake out pretty well for them and, and you know, whoever the lowest seeded team that makes it to the actual 16 that would be ideal for the avalanche and to avoid just playing the st louis's at all cost um so if they could somehow end up on the opposite side of the bracket see them in the western conference final that would be ideal but again that's what i love about it that we have no idea what it's going to shake out like and, exactly um it's going to be kind of random and exciting just exciting um so yeah that's all i really wanted to touch on on today's announcement and the plans for moving forward with the season again i Nothing set in stone, but it's looking very optimistic that they're going to get something going. So before we wrap up our show the way we normally do um, with the three stars, we've introduced our new segment, and that's the social media moment of the week. And I, I assume, Arif, after the one we did last week, you're going to hit, hit me with Landis Gog's clap clapback.
0: Yeah, this one was an easy one. Landis Gog answering right back uh, with the same exact photo, wearing the same exact thing that EJ wore from whatever that company's name was uh, and basically clapping back at EJ with the same pose, holding the bike and everything. And the avalanche actually went out of their way and posted both pictures on social media and said, which one rocks it better. And the very first comment on there is Eric Johnson saying, but I'm not flexing. So it's just, it's great to see the players <laughs> with that interaction. Landis Gog does got those biceps. He's got those biceps sort of coming out that, you know, he's obviously working on in his home gym in Toronto with his, with his in-laws and his wife and his kid. Um, but it was just you know hilarious to see that again because uh, you know these guys haven't seen each other for a very long time and they're used to seeing each, seeing each other on a regular basis and it's just cool to see them interacting like that. So that's my social media moment of the week. Who wore it best? Landis Gogg says, and you know it's hard to vote against him.
1: Yep, absolutely. He, I think Landis Gogg definitely wore it best too, but yeah. probably because he was flexing. Eric Johnson's kind of got a little bit of a dad bod going, but you know, yeah, that's just through bike biker. Clothes. who knows how fit he actually is i mean we know he's he's a workhorse out there um yeah so that leads us to our mile high sports three stars of the week brought to you by us star number three i'm gonna give it to the nhlpa as a whole you know i think uh i commend them a lot for really staying strong and making sure that they're getting their voices heard uh you know like i pointed out last week these are the guys that make the money these are more than just pawns in the game and, and they need to be make sure that their their voice is the first one that gets accounted for so I think so far they've handled themselves tremendously I love kind of the transparency we've heard a lot of news from a lot of the player representatives at, at, for the NHLPA and I, I just commend with the way they've handled themselves so far
0: yeah for sure I mean this is uh this is not an easy situation for anyone this is not something that anybody ever expected and uh gary bettman went out of his way to uh, uh single out a, a a specific set of players from the pa the ones that were part of the return to play committee i'm not going to remember all of them but it involved james van reensdyke it involved ron Hansey who seems to be in on it, all of these things by the way ron Hansey uh connor mcdavid john tavares um there may have been one or two more players but you know it's just uh Uh, a lot of props to them for for taking for taking a hold of this and and really working for them and for their counterparts and for their uh fellow players in uh trying their best to make this as reasonable and as 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 legit as possible in a time where none of us thought this was going to happen literally like two days before it happened so definitely they deserve that third star absolutely star number two
1: goes to max Domi this week and the only reason i'm saying that is because he's been very vocal throughout this whole covid uh situation about how he just feels like people are being unsafe and uh selfish and and not really thinking about others during this whole time and just the other day he s- went back to social media kind of shamed everybody in toronto who gathered at a park and i just you know yep. it takes trinity it takes bellwoods a- park Right. It takes a lot of nuts, I think, for a player to just come out and and take a stand like that on something that's kind of gotten to be a really controversial issue. You know, you're either black or white on this, it seems like lately. Um, So for him to just come out and really make his stance obvious and and heard, um, again, just takes a lot of nuts. And so he gets a second star
0: for me. Yeah. And I mean, uh, for somebody like Max Domi, I think we mentioned this last week, he is immunocompromised. He's a type one diabetic and for someone like him to come out and, and, and step up and say something, it's great for the NHL to have a voice like that because this is somebody who is in his mid-20s, who's younger than you and I, but is also very athletic and healthy and an athlete. And despite all of those things, he could still get hit with the worst of this because of his uh, type 1 diabetic, because he is a type 1 diabetic. And it's just great to see him speak out because someone has to when things like this happen. Absolutely. And
1: star number one, I'm actually ashamed he should have been star number one last week and we completely forgot, completely skipped over it. I almost made him the only star of this week, but that's Akeem And for yes. his article um, coming out just kind of exposing a little bit more of the racism he's encountered in his career, uh, it's just sad to see. And it's... You really feel for the guy and you you kind of wish you could just reach out and give him a hug i mean it's such a strange background he comes from you know a ukrainian mother and an african father living in russia you know there was already so much that he's dealt with in his life before he even got to his nhl career and his nhl career just didn't make it much easier on him so got a salute to him and you know I, as two guys who love the hockey is for everyone theme um shame on us for forgetting that last week
0: yeah for sure i mean uh Akima Lou is, is the NHL's Colin Kaepernick. He's the one that's speaking out against these things, and he's the one that's going against the grain and is not afraid and not ashamed to put himself out there. He faces a lot of backlash just like Kaepernick. Um, unwarranted but albeit it's something that at this point is uh is not surprising to see but at the same time it's 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 just great to see him speaking out you know long after his career ended and let's face it he wasn't given much of a chance to be in nhl or because of the things he had to go through he was once a highly touted prospect he was a high draft pick when the flames had him um but you know things didn't work out one way or another and It just upsets me that the more I read his story, the more it bothers me that the Avalanche, you know, once went out and acquired Steve Downey, who was a big part of that story. Uh, It kind of reminds me of when they went out and acquired Brad May, where it just sort of didn't make sense after his whole... Uh, debacle when he was with the Canucks and the Bertuzzi Moore incident. So it's just it's, it, it it sucks to see that someone like that uh, played for the Avalanche and uh, had such a longer, more successful career than someone like Akeem Alou and all oh, this was swept under the rug. When ultimately it should have been you know nipped in the bud before Downey even made it to the big leagues. And you know it's great to see Akeem Alou speaking out now, and it's great to see a lot of players finally coming out and speaking out and supporting him. Um, maybe this will be the turning point. Who knows? Uh, but it's definitely a good starting point.
1: Absolutely. And like you said, it's just a starting point. Still got a long way to go before all this is fixed. But, you know, any help is is good help, right? So I like the direction that's heading in. That's all we really have for today's podcast. Um, you know, just wanted to cover today's news, the plans for the tournament. I don't really have much else to say. I think I've made my opinions very heard in the last two podcasts. So, um, you know, reach out to us on Twitter. Let me know what you think. I had a, some pretty good engagement yesterday when I created a Twitter poll um, just to see, you know, gauge what fans actually thought. Because I thought I was completely in the minority, not wanting the league to come back at all. But uh, you know, 40% of the people out there who voted are, are with me. So it's it's a lot more, I guess, split than I thought. But I think at the end of the day, we're all excited to see NHL hockey back. So let's see how all this develops, and hopefully, uh, we get it back you know
0: just the way the plan indicated today yeah for sure i mean uh i guess we're gonna find out more with time uh gary bentman said it could take up to four weeks to decide on a hub city so we got four weeks of looking at numbers and crunching numbers and where is it safer than other places and it's it's the same merry-go-round we've been going on since march 12th and it's you know it's not going to change anytime soon it's the reality of the world we live in in sports and otherwise um but it's 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 an exciting time. Today was a nice escape. Today was nice to to finally have some bit of optimism, to be able to think of something in a positive uh, light, even if it's something that's not gonna end up happening, which is still a possibility. Uh, and Batman reiterated that many times. Um, but it was nice to feel some sort of normal and to have something new and to see Twitter blowing up with all these different people tweeting the same exact thing that Batman says on TV. It's uh, it's it's great to see that again, and you know we'll see where it goes from here
1: absolutely so yeah we'll be back to give you some more podcasts as all this develops but thank you for hanging out with us on this one and we'll see you on the next one for now uh, I'm JJ he's Arif we out you